as we may or may not know at this point, I have the intro this week. So <laughs> I thought I would switch up the opener format, opening format this week. I don't want to alarm anyone because I know we're all aware that these things are happening in the back of our mind. I know just as a human being, I like to suppress these things, but I'm pretty sure we all just choose to ignore it. Like the meme of the dog sitting in the room on fire saying this is fine quite similar to that. So global warming, climate change, etc. It's here. I'm sure wherever you are on this globe, you're seeing signs of this happening around you. So I thought I would solely <laughs> read some news headlines, not even the articles this week that have happened. And these are going to be articles that have happened recently, like in the last month, even just article titles. That's too topical. You should have chosen articles only from 10 years ago. You're right. In my fashion, I should have. But in my fashion also, I didn't want to read the articles. I just wanted to read you the news headlines. These are going to be within the last month. I made sure that these are all very recent. So to start with, the UN has been making headlines the past couple of days with news headlines reading, UN chief calls for extreme weather warning systems for everyone on Earth followed quickly by UN to roll out global early warning systems for extreme weather. Next one, IPCC, not sure who that is, it's just a news headline. The UN Committee on Climate. Perfect, I'm glad that you knew that because I didn't read the article. <laughs> IPCC issues bleakest warning yet on impacts of climate breakdown. Those article headlines are kind of setting the stage, so let's start with I don't know about you, Taylor, but this one's been catching my attention the most. So let's start with the Antarctic. Record smashing heat waves are hitting Antarctica and the Arctic at the same time. Antarctica, Arctic, hit temperatures 40 degrees Celsius and 30 degrees Celsius hotter than normal. Temperatures in eastern Antarctica are 70 degrees warmer than usual from the hill. As temperatures rise, Antarctica is turning green, universe today. Massive Antarctic ice shelves collapse amid unusually high temperatures. That's the nationalglobalnews.ca. Antarctic ice shelf nearly the size of Los Angeles collapsed as temperatures soared to 40 degrees above normal. Heat waves at both of Earth's poles alarm client scientists which is The Guardian. Quote, not a good sign, unquote. Antarctica, Arctic, simultaneously 70 and 50 degrees above normal. The times of Israel. That's right, Israel. So that's Antarctic. And since we're talking temperature, let's continue on. I do just want to throw in a quick positive note to the collapse of the Antarctic ice shelves. There is always that strange theory that Atlantis yes. is actually Antarctica, which if there's no ice on it, we can prove or disprove that theory. We could. Hopefully we prove it because that's going to be a major upside. Yes, and also maybe save us. True. Atlantis is supposed to have some, yes, some major technology. That's a good point. That's a very good point. Thank you for bringing that to our attention. So since we're talking temperature, let's continue on. And remember, these are all news headlines. 100-year-old temperature record shattered in San Francisco Bay Area amid early spring heat wave. Another one, above normal temperatures recorded in Delhi in the past 24 hours. 
another one this one is end of february so it's not as recent as i would like but it is you know within the last couple months and this one's a local one to us bc town breaks 105 year old temperature record amid cold snap and you know what i kind of am not so freaked out when i'm like at least this has happened like 105 years ago and it's not like never before seen temperatures you know what i mean <laughs> at least it's happened before most temperature records don't go much further back than 105 years mm. either. So it could be a cyclical century event. It could, so. It's highly unlikely, but it could be. Yeah, exactly. So I do like have a little bit of solace in that. Followed up by, set for this weekend, which we're recording March 27th. So the, we're recording on a Sunday. So this has probably happened. Nearly 100 locations in Western United States could break record high temperatures by the end of the weekend. We're at the end of the weekend. So I didn't follow up on that at all, but uh, there you have it. If a headline comes out, we'll tell you about it. Yeah, exactly. There probably is one, so we might not tell you about it. Maybe we'll do a follow-up episode on it. We'll just read you that one headline as a follow-up. We'll do it on our year-end review. We'll just read the headline and have faith that you know what we're following up on. Tornado cuts destructive path through New Orleans as storms threaten south from the New York Times. Tornado leaves New Orleans neighborhood in ruins killing one. I did read the article on that one. While tornadoes can happen in New Orleans, it is not a common thing to be happening in New Orleans, which is why it made it onto this list. To give you some frame of reference on that headline. Only that one though. New Orleans is going through its own outside of this. You probably won't mm -hmm. find just a headline on it, but it's sinking as well. Is it? Yeah, oh yeah. The map of Louisiana has not been updated in a long time. A lot they're losing tons of land because it's all swamp. Wow. Thank you for adding that here. <laughs> this opener is solely headlines and I focus mostly on climate change. So there's a lot of other concerning headlines I could have thrown in here that didn't make it. Just not to add to your worries, but just to let you know for your knowledge. Next one, completely unrelated. Shortage of hay leaves Alberta livestock owners desperate for feed this winter. Have with that what you will. I could add a lot right here, but I'm not going to because I'm just reading headlines. Portugal drought worsens, raising fears for crops and water supply. Severe drought impacts on Argentine corn and soybean crop estimates. Pollution, climate change, devastating Egypt's fisheries, says new investigation. UN report, the world's farms stretch to a breaking point. Yeah, and that's not even taking into account the war in Russia. The Ukraine-Russia issue is going to put massive strain on several resources, one of the biggest, which is wheat, that yeah. is exported all throughout that area on the Black Sea. There is really, and I strictly stayed away from that, as I think we have been front of mind doing so on this podcast, is staying away. It's not fringe right now, it's front and center. There's some really concerning things going on, especially when you bring in climate change with food and crop damages that are happening even where we are right now with the heat wave that happened and who knows what'll happen this summer. There's some really concerning things happen and I'm just like I said, I'm just doing climate change on this. <laughs> I'm not doing what's happening in the Ukraine right now with Russia, which just adds to all of this. And I don't mean to worry everyone listening right now, but we worry you in much different ways overall. Don't worry. 
It's something to, I mean, you read a headline in passing and you don't think much of it. And we're at a turning point of our future, essentially, right now. So I just think it's important to read them all. Not in any order in particular. It's the order that I've put it in. But I think it's really important to focus on all these headlines that are happening right now that some people, I mean, I put it to the back of my mind when I'm reading them. I don't really want to focus on how doomed I feel we are. But let's move on. The Amazon rainforest is approaching a dangerous tipping point. This is a separate article headline. One million species are at risk of extinction, according to a new report. I did, on this one, put an extra quote from within the article because I felt like that needed a little bit more focus. Quotations, a direct result of human activity and the report highlights causes like changes to land use, animal exploitation, pollution, and invasive species. Climate change ranks as the third most serious cause end quotations. If you're talking about the Brazilian portion of the Amazon rainforest, the biggest thing is they're destroying Amazon, bulldozing it down for first off logging, second off to build farms, either soybeans or beef. They're also putting in gold mines in the Amazon too, which is going to destroy the water. Gold mines? Yeah, it's going to destroy the water, but that's a different topic in itself. That's not climate change. Okay, next Headline, I think, is what you're getting to. What's the next headline? We only want to hear headlines. Great Barrier Reef. Australia confirmed new mass bleaching event caused by warm sea temperatures. Next headline. No country met WHO, WHO, air quality standards in 2021. I'm coming to the end of my headlines. And this is obviously worrisome. These are not all the headlines happening right now. I just wanted to kind of put some things together. It's concerning. We probably need to take a little bit of action here instead of ignoring everything. I know it gives you a little bit of doom and gloom, so you don't really want to focus on it, but we need to start taking action. But because it's not all bleak, the last article headline I will leave you with is horseback riding goat a hit on bc farm and we'll probably have to link that up probably i mean i have a pretty good view of it just thinking that but yeah that's the opener okay and yeah i could probably add some bleak things on global warming and climate change particularly why we changed those words but let's leave it on that high note and let's get into this episode from the unexplained to the mundane Come join us on a journey to the fringe. Hello and welcome to Journey to the Fringe, the place where mainstream topics wake up missing a kidney and all semblance of ego they once possessed. We are your hosts of this podcast, Taylor and Chelsea. And today we're going to be focusing on a little known phenomenon known as April Fool's Day. And I promise this is not an April Fool's joke. This is more so the idea of calendars. Now, why would I be talking about calendars on April 1st? Well, there is one theory as to where April Fool's Day comes from. Some writers suggest that April Fool's originated because in the Middle Ages, New Year's Day was actually celebrated on March 25th in most European towns, with a holiday that in some areas of France specifically ended on April 1st. Those who celebrated New Year's Eve on January 1 made fun of those who celebrated on other dates by the invention of April Fool's Day. There are many different theories as to why April Fool's Day came out, and this one actually doesn't make a lot of sense 
because April Fool's Day predates this, shifted in 1564, but you can find things before that meant referencing April Fool's Day. But I thought it was a, just a good time to actually take some calendar episodes out. So today we are going to talk about a theory called the phantom time hypothesis. We're going to start off with a little bit of work with calendars, just so that we can get on the same page. So Chelsea, I'm going to ask you a very straight up question. Oh man. It has many different answers, but I just want to see what your answer is. How long is a year? 365 days. That is a very common and easy to say answer. And for the most part, you are correct. 366. I'll leap year. Some years have 365 <laughs> days under our Gregorian calendar as we have it now. Some of them have 366 days if it's a leap year. Right now, we follow the Gregorian calendar, which was introduced by Pope Gregory in 1568, I believe. Um, it'll come up later. I thought this is just a good time to bring that up. But that's not necessarily correct when we're actually talking about how long a year is. And it really depends on what you actually mean by that. So what is a year? Well, if we're talking just on an astronomic point of view, how long does it take the Earth to get from the point it is at now in a complete rotation back to the same point it is again. And that is 365.24219 days. I mean, you bring up a good point. I was gonna be like, this is the amount of days I go to work or have off. It's just like how I operate. But I guess you're getting really technical, which is the basic of like what's in a year. Yeah, so in an actual year to get from the same point or with the revolution around the sun back to the same point your planet just inhabited the year before, it is 365.24219 days, which is a really long and specific number. It is incredibly specific. It's important to talk about this number though, because up until about 45 BCE, everybody kind of had their own ways of calculating calendars or dates. And with really only certain specific days being very important. So a lot of people didn't necessarily have a calendar system, more so just today's the solstice, today's harvest, things like that. When the Romans come around, it really starts to kind of take hold. And sorry, I should say just before this, many different cultures have used different things to make a calendar around. Some people use the sun, some people use the moon, some people just simply use events like bud break for spring or harvest. Mm. And really, it's more so just making sure that you are consistently getting the same events on the same time year over year. That's what's important about the calendar. Well, like, that makes the most sense. Yeah. That's why I would want a calendar. Yeah, exactly. I like consistency. The Romans before 45 BCE were basically using what's considered a 355-day calendar. That's pretty good. Where did they come up with that? It's lunar cycles. Okay, I was like, that is very close if they have no idea how to measure the earth making one turn they've actually been like well before this we've always known when the spring solstice is the fall solstice is winter summer solstice True. so um, it's actually not that hard to calculate everybody just kind of has a different thing through that okay romans were using 355 day calendars and every now and then they would throw in an extra month and they just say we're, we're having a leap month to make up for the fact that because we're off by 10 days how did they know that? We've been studying the stars for as long as we've been around. Okay, just basic astrology. If spring is supposed to happen on March 21st, which is when the solstice is, mm -hmm. every year, and you're a farmer basing it on that, and you're 10 days off, well, that's not necessarily going to work for your crops. Okay, so this all makes sense then. Yeah, and in fact, before 45 BCE, well, not quite, sorry, it's well before that, the Romans actually only used a 10-month 
calendar. They omitted January and February because those weren't farming months. They didn't matter. They were just free dates. They didn't care. Mm -hmm. Which is actually why September, October, November, December have the pretenses 7, 8, 9, 10 in them, but they're the 9, 10th, 11th, and 12th month. They don't make sense under a current calendar system. I would have otherwise been oblivious to that if it weren't for right now. October should technically be the 8th month, but it's the 10th month. I guess that I never even thought about that ever. We're going to have a lot of fun facts and just calendar-wise today. Nice. They had that, and then Romulus came in as the first ruler of Rome. He said we need to do a 12-month calendar. That's where the 355-day calendar comes in. And every now and then, the rulers would decree that there's an extra leap month that we're going to follow for this year, just to make up for all the days that we've missed so that we can keep mm -hmm. these dates consistent. Julius Caesar, who actually did a ton of work on the calendar, or at least got people to come in, who finally said, we need to have a consistent calendar every year. We can't just have random rulers decreeing that we're putting an extra month here. That's not efficient. And especially when you have a large empire, it's very hard to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Let's get all on the same page with one calendar. So this is where Julius Caesar puts the Julian calendar in place in 45 BC. And the Julian calendar sets out very simply that there are 365 days in every year, except every fourth year, we're going to add one day. And that's where the leap year came from. So they had 365.25 days on average in a year. Wow. Fairly simple. Yeah, uh, not to me, but... Uh... Pretty close to what the actual astronomical year is, 365.24219. Yeah days. And we have a leap year every four years. The Julian calendar is only 11 minutes longer every year than the astronomical calendar. And that was what year? This is 45 BC. Wow. Like, I'm just blown away by this. But I guess when you say it as we've been studying the stars for so long, it just makes sense. I don't know why I'm so mind blown by it, but here we are. That might seem incredibly precise, but on a large scale, that's actually incredibly inaccurate. So 11 minutes difference per year means that in 128 years, you're going to be one day out of sync with the astronomical calendar. I mean, that's the same thing we follow now, is it not? No, and okay. I'm going to get into how we actually have leap years, which is a lot more complicated than most people think. Okay, well, I'm glad I'm here for this because I am wildly out of date. For all intents and purposes, every fourth year is a leap year, will work for your entire life. Okay. So we don't need to worry about that. There are some different things though. Okay. 11 minutes per year ends up being 128 years, loses you a day. And over a long period of time, this is going to start to add up. And this became incredibly important for the Catholic Church. So because of the date of Easter being a function of the date of the spring equinox, the Catholic Church considered unacceptable the increasing divergence between the canonical date of the equinox and that observed in reality. Easter is celebrated on the Sunday after the ecclesiastical full moon on or after March 21st, the spring equinox. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah, actually, Easter is incredibly complicated. If you ever want to write like a calculation, I've tried to do it in Excel to say like when Easter falls, it's really hard. <laughs> Why have you done that? <laughs> I think it was for work purposes. It's Just kidding. Okay, okay. Just which was adopted as an approximation to the March equinox. European scholars had been well aware that the calendar had drifted since the early medieval period, though. Mm -hmm. To make the reform, the Gregorian calendar reform, 
was to shorten the average calendar year by 0.0075 days to 365.2425 days to stop the drift of the calendar with respect to the equinoxes. How do you even do that? We still lose about 20 seconds per year, but that's basically as close as we're going to get. I have no idea how or why you... How we actually get to that? Under Gregorian calendar rules, every fourth year is a leap year that we add a day to. Unless that year is divisible by 100, in which case we don't have a leap year. Unless that year is also divisible by 400, in which case we do have the leap year. What was our last one? 2020 was a leap year. It's divisible by four, but it's not divisible by 100. 1900 did not have a leap year because it is divisible by four, but it's also divisible by 100, but it's not divisible by 400. Whereas the year 2000 was a leap year because it's divisible by four, it's divisible by 100, and it's divisible by 400. But why would we be skipping leap years if it seems like we're off? So many minutes per year. We are overall slightly longer. So we're 11 minutes longer than a normal year by skipping a leap year every 100 years or so. Because remember, I said we're off every 128 years. We can find a way to gain an extra day every 128 years, then we are in sync. But we're doing it every four years. We are normally doing it every four years. So if we skip one leap year ever 128 years, we're good. That it, <laughs> I, what, I don't even know what to say about this. We're not even into the phantom time hypothesis yet. <laughs> this is just kind of necessary to understand. Nobody explains this to you ever. No, and again, because we're never going to have to skip a leap year in our lifetime. Okay, can I just say, didn't you just say we skipped a leap year? Yeah, in 1900. Okay, I wasn't here for that. Can I just say it's so funny because you look at that when I was in college, I had to take a course on like God and how do you put it? Created, uh, like God made humanity. Creationism. Creationism. And like how perfect everything is. Like there's something behind everything that there is. And like how perfect chemistry is and like atoms and cells and everything like that. And how everything's created like to just like intertwine and work so perfectly just to create life. But you look at this and it's not perfect. Like we can't make like a year work perfectly. Oh yeah, and we're still 20 seconds off. Yeah, because we have like a little bit of time off. You would think yeah. if someone created it that it would just work perfectly. And for the most part, people think it does. Boy, it does it not. Well, you're not taught it. I was never taught this. You're just taught that there's a leap year every four years and that's it. So we've never skipped one. We won't we've never skipped skip one. one. We probably won't skip one in our lifetimes. That's so, okay. So the Gregorian calendar was proposed to fix the issue found in the Julian calendar. It was put into use. The errors accumulated in the 13th century since the Council of Nicaea had corrected it by a deletion of 10 days. Pope Gregory gave the decree that we're all going to go to bed on October 4th, 1582. We're going to put this new calendar in place. And when we wake up from October 4th, 1582. It's going to be October 15th, 1582. So that everything is lined up and everything is good. We're just going to add 10 days to make everything good. Could you imagine losing 10 days? Like you lose an hour and like there's car accidents. It's like all hell breaks loose. You're tired. Our society couldn't handle it. Their society was futile. So it's pretty easy to just kind of lose 10 okay, days. Okay, they were fine. Okay. Yeah, they didn't work five months of the year pretty much. 
much. Okay. And their actual laboring was, although hard toiling, significantly less hours per day than what we do today. Really? I thought it would have been harder. No, on average, like feudal peasants would have worked about three hours a day. They would not work as much as us. I had no idea. Okay. That happened. And this is the big thing here that is kind of weird. So Chelsea, yes. I said every 128 years, we lose a day. This happened in 1582. Mm -hmm. And let's just start from the year zero. So if you add 10 days, what year would you think it was from the year zero? Oh no. 10 times 128. 1,280? Yeah. Okay, good. Oh, phew. This is a big question here that was proposed by a man in 1991 by the name of Herbert Illig. And his question is, is why did they only add 10 days? If they were in the year 1280, that makes sense but they were in the year 1582. There is a 300 year discrepancy here. What the hell happened? What year are we in right now? Like right now? Like not by our standards, like what actual year are we in? So we're in the year 2022. Yeah. This proposition by Pope Gregory was 1582. Because of the discrepancy, Herbert Illig and his phantom time hypothesis says we're actually in the year 1725. Oh my god, we are skipping 2020. We're going back. I think we just solved everything. But this is the phantom time hypothesis. It's a oh really fun idea that we're going to talk about. It was proposed by Herbert Illig. We're going to be talking about another paper called Did the Early Middle Ages Really Exist? by Dr. Hans Ulrich Niemitz. That was written in 1995 and revised in 2000. Okay. What? Okay, my mind's blown right now, but this is all making sense. His main thesis, Hans Ulrich, is between antiquity, 1 AD, and the Renaissance, 1500 AD, historians count approximately 300 years too many in their chronology. In other words, the Roman Emperor Augustus, who was in charge in the year zero, really lived 1700 years ago instead of the conventionally assumed 2000 years ago. <gasps> And I'm going to sum it up right now because I'm going to get to it eventually, but I think it's important to say it now. As a result, the years 614 to 911 are simply made up. The year 614 to 911 didn't happen. That is the phantom time hypothesis. Because we have that amount of missing time. Is that why? Yeah, because we're missing about 300 years, they had to have been put in there somewhere. So this is where they're proposing the time that didn't happen happened. Okay, I'm not like a math person, as you may have gotten from all of this, but where did we get this? Like, it makes sense, but like at the same time, where did we get all this extra time? Well, we're going to talk about that now. And this is their evidence why this period of time, 614 to 911, didn't happen. A lot of it comes from Hans Ulrich, Phil pull from a few other spots. I will let you know when it's not coming from there. The easiest way to understand the doubts about the accepted chronology and well-known history is to seriously systematize the problems of medieval research. This will lead us to detect a pattern which proves by thesis and gives a reason to assume that a phantom period of approximately 300 years has been inserted between 680 and 980, either by accident, by misinterpretation of documents, or by deliberate falsification. This period and all events that are supposed to have happened therein never existed. Buildings and artifacts ascribed to this period really belong to other periods. Art historians 
explain and describe artifacts and buildings of this period as anachronistic, but they never follow up on their assessments. One of the best examples intensively surveyed is the Chapel of Aiken, circa 800 AD, which seems to come approximately 200 years too early. The way of constructing an arch shown in this chapel has no predecessor. Arched aisles are usually in the 11th century in spare. The construction of choirs with rising arch and also rising barrel vaulting is not resumed until 200 years later at the portal of Tournus. The vertical steepness of the interior arches of the Aiken Chapel is more accentuated than those of churches built two centuries later. One of these is in 1049 AD, consecrated Abbey Church of Otmarsheim. Although missing some details of the early model, nevertheless is the best copy of Aiken. However, these and many other arguments implicate that the Chapel of Aiken had to be regarded as a building of the second part of the 11th century. Let me know if that doesn't make sense to you. It is making sense to me completely. I'm going to have a question, but it has nothing to do with how you're describing it. Okay, and I'm just going to summarize that paragraph. There's this chapel, the Chapel of Aiken, that normally archaeologists put it as built in 800. However, it uses design features that have never been seen before it and are not seen again for 200 years. So it seems out of place with everything else it being placed at that time. So I guess I'm just going to ask it now. The 300 years of missing time is obviously yeah. human construct. Yes. So it's just like a time thing. Like there's 300 years that we're just missing. It shouldn't seem like chronologically we just like jump 300 years. If you're just looking at written history, everything flows nicely. But if you're looking at archaeological evidence, what Illig proposes is that it's not going to make any sense. There's going to be jumps in archaeological discoveries because there is not actually 300 years between everything. Things that are 300 years apart are going to look very similar and everything in the middle is likely going to be misascribed to this time just because people had written it down but it's going to look weird having that much difference in time between everything i think i can grasp what you're saying time is weird to us because we're not accounting for it properly yes and basically this chapel seems like it should have been built 200 years later but if these 300 years are actually missing, it is right in line with the other arches that are built exactly the same way. Okay. And that's, that's what he's using this as evidence. Okay. I completely get it. My mind's a little bit slow on it because it's weird. It's not how we account history for it, but I can pick up what you're putting down. His next evidence is a well-known epic written by Ferdosis, the Shanam, written in 1010 AD. But it ends with the last Persian king, the III, who died in 651 AD. The epic tells nothing about Islamic conquest of Persia and has no allusions to Islam at all. It simply skips 300 years of Islamic influence as if they had never existed. Like the most current 300 years of history. So he thinks that is very odd. But how does he know that? Because it's written somewhere else? No, th this saga wrote down the history of Islam, but yeah. skipped 300 years of history. When written specifically by somebody, but not that it was accounted for somewhere else. It was accounting for Islamic history mm -hmm. and only goes up to 651 AD when it was written in 1010 AD. Does that make sense? This is like a mindfuck. 
Next, I love this idea. It comes before it, but the be- the place I actually found this argument was in a book called Guide to the Phantom Dark Age by Emmett Scott in 2014. It's a book. Many hilltop strongholds are known in Italy and throughout southern France, as well as in various parts of Aegean region and Asia Minor. Although castle building began in these regions in the 7th century, none of the structures built at that time have survived into the modern age. Invariably, the 7th century fortresses were replaced by greater and larger edifices in the 10th century, and more especially, 11th centuries. And it is these which we see today. The 10th and 11th century fortresses were built directly on the 7th century foundation. Nothing of the 8th or 9th centuries intervening. So we have very little construction to actually look at archaeologically from the 8th and 9th century. Even stranger, we find that whilst the age of castle building commenced in southern Europe during the 7th century, it only began in northern Europe in the 10th. And what is even worse, the boundary between the two ages of castle building is often no more than a few kilometers apart. Thus, for example, the first fortified hilltop site in the southern coast of France appear in the 7th century whilst just a few kilometers away in the Pyrenean foothills. The first castles appear in the 10th century. This is the case, for example, at Lourdes, where the fortified stronghold was clearly designed to guard the Pyrenean passes against Muslim raids in the 10th century. Yet just a few kilometers to the west at Montsegur, a fortified stronghold also designed to guard against Muslim raids is dated to the 7th century. This is hurting my brain. (laughs) It just seems like things are built at one point, and then there's a 300-year gap, and it's built again. Like, there's no accounting for this middle ground. And Illig, the original proposer of this idea, and sorry, I could not find a reference for this other than a YouTube video. So I'm just going to quote it. It was Y-Files. Go check it out. I think he did some pretty good videos. Illig looked into this and basically tried to find how many structures we have from 614 to 911. And he found on paper, we had almost 1,700 structures built in these missing years. However, he could not even find archaeological evidence that 97 percent of these structures even existed let alone were built in this period i don't even get like first of all yeah like you have a theory and everything like combing through all these records to find all of this evidence is crazy first of all but like how does it just not exist in this time though if it should have because we're missing time but how would it just jump missing time is slightly a bad name for it it should probably be called the added time hypothesis Because missing implies we're not far enough into the future. Like, there's time that we're missing. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. I don't know what I was thinking, just that, like, time is messed up, really, and I think my head just, like... And I should state this now, too. Illig is the original proposer of this theory. He's German. He didn't write his theories in English, so I was unable to actually read his theories directly. Okay. I can't even imagine, though, to have this theory and to go back through everything to try and prove it. Like, these are legit theories, what you're putting forth, but, like, can you imagine being, like, I'm gonna prove that time is moving too fast right now by going through all of history. He's mostly focusing on this 300 year period. It's a specific period of time he's focusing on. Like I said, he's focusing on 614 to 911 AD because it just, there's not a lot to corroborate this time. So he wanted to see like what he could actually find. Okay, you did say that. And for the most part, he found pretty much everything that we have to prove this period of time happened is just in recorded history, not in documentable history. That would take a lot of work to do that, but that is so 
mind-blowing. Okay. Likewise, the Parsi Zarathustra worshippers in India have been debating their own chronology furiously since messengers from Iran in the 18th century told them they made a mistake in counting the years since their flight from their homeland. Even modern encyclopedias vary in their assertions between the 7th and 10th century for this event. That's a huge gap. Oh. That's a 300-year difference. Likewise, the history of... I'm sorry, this is how it's written in the article, so I'm going to reference it this way. I do not mean it in a disrespectful way, as it can be viewed that way sometimes. The history of the Jews... Say the whole word! ...shows centuries of darkness and discontinuity that support the thesis of the Phantom Time. One of the important modern works of Jewish history bears the descriptive title The Dark Ages, Jews in Christian Europe, 711 to 1096. Here are two quotations. It seems that they, the Jews, totally disappeared together with the breakdown of the Roman Empire. However, we don't find any evidence of their presence until Carolingian period. For the Carolingian period, historians find only written sources, whereas material sources like buildings and artifacts exist just for the time after 1000 AD. Jewish quarter in Regensburg between 1006 and 1028 AD, in Cologne between 1056 and 1075 AD, in Worms around 1080 AD, and in Spires around 1084 AD. And for the regions outside of Germany, we are told, of course we know from inscriptions and other sources about Jewish societies and single persons in nearly all provinces of the Roman Empire, and we can reasonably suppose, with or without proof, that there is in fact no district without Jews. Nevertheless, there doesn't exist any evidence and only little probability that a substantial number of Jews lived anywhere in the Western world at this time. So in European recorded history, nobody really knows where Jewish people are from 711 to 1096, which again is about 300 years. This just keeps blowing my mind. The few existing stratigraphies of German towns give evidence of the phantom time. In Frankfurt and Main, archaeological excavations did not find any layer for the period between 650 and 910 AD. Nevertheless, it has been assumed that something had been found in order to avoid empty centuries, which is unconceivable. But they didn't have anything in that time? They couldn't find anything in the ground. Again, have recorded history for this time, but they can't find any archaeological evidence to support it. Thus, the absent period was construed by layers composed of waste and ceramic fragments from other locations which were spread to fill in the gap and support known chronology. Archaeological research in ceramics encounters big problems for the projected phantom time. Two quotations. The evolution of half a century is unclear, writes Peter Vicadil in his 1991 publication about ceramics of the 8th to 13th centuries from settlements of the main triangle. 30 years earlier, Werner Harnickel had some troubles with the slow-moving evolution of vessel forms in the 7th, 8th, and 9th century at the North Sea coast. It is impossible to find an order in these ceramic vessels. Even to construct a relative chronology still seems to be impossible. Therefore, the ceramic experts try to solve their problems with mathematical and statistical methods. This time appears on paper to make perfect sense because we've read everything written down these years happened. In practice, finding evidence or things that happened during these 300 years is actually incredibly hard. Okay, that's what I'm getting from everything you're saying. You can find medieval falsifications in every kind of document during this time as well. The medievalist is confronted with a dangerous and confusing host of false documentations 
And this was the reason for organizing a conference in the late 1990s. The Bavarian State Secretary of Education and Culture, Hans Meyer, summarized the problem, and nobody came to contradict him. Falsifications in the Middle Ages are really no minor subject for medievalists. In this conference, we treat the central problem of historical scientific research, the question for authenticity of the documents, and even more, the concept of truth in an important period of history of mankind. Horst Führmann, president of the Monumenta Germania Historica, emphasized a special peculiarity of some of the important fake documents. He demonstrated that the important fakes of the Roman Catholic Church have an anticipating character. These documents had to wait their great moment to come. Centuries after being produced, these fakes were integrated into the framework of the clerical and laical world. Bergman's opinion was that in the first place, the environment must exist before a fake can be effective. We were shown fakes from preceding centuries. We divined chronological distortions. Therefore, we inspected the calendar's calculations and mentioned above with the result of a time error mounting to three centuries. Then we looked for gaps in special reports and publications, also for periods of stagnation or strange events repeated in similar matters after approximately 300 years. I only refer to some of a great number of puzzles, a gap in history of buildings in Constantinople, a gap in the doctrine of faith, especially the gap in the evolution of theory and meaning of purgatory a 300-year-long reluctant introduction of farming techniques and of war techniques, a gap in the mosaic art, a repeated beginning of the German orthography. And the list could go on, that's where he ends it. The puzzle of historiography led the way, pointing out again and again, the gap which we soon termed the phantom time. But who would take an interest in faking so many documents and why? Why did the fakers need a phantom time of 300 years? We developed two hypotheses which basically don't contradict. And these are where the why 300 years were added comes up. Hypothesis one, Otto III, he was the ruler of the Holy Roman Empire around the year 1000, didn't live accidentally around the year 1000 AD. He himself had defined this faith. He wanted to reign in this year because this suited his understanding of Christian millennialism. He defined this date with the help of his famous and well-versed friend, Gerbert de Orla, later Pope Sylvester II. In reality, they lived approximately 700 years after the birth of Christ. But never until then had the years been reckoned after Christ. Perhaps unaware of their error and without intending to falsify it, they defined one special year as 1000 AD. Consequently, chroniclers had to invent 300 years of history to fill up empty periods. What a great occasion for dynasties and kings. You can design the planned future as a construct of the past. And this apparently happened. Otto III constructed Charlemagne as the model hero he himself wanted to be. Supposedly, he sketched Charlemagne's history only a bit, or it wasn't even him, but the generations after him who lined out a whole full life picture. Especially the clergy hoped to take advantage in its confrontation with the emperor, which had started in the 11th century. And Charlemagne is one of the people that actually existed during the time that is missing. He did a ton of stuff that really don't make sense in somebody who only reigned for 44 years. He was at war for 42 of those years and made many scientific and religious progressions, I guess is a good word for it. Too much, in fact, for one life. What they're saying is Otto III actually kind of created him as this lineage of this great hero that lived during that time to kind of help bolster his career. Okay. And it was important to him to rule in the year 1000. 
This makes a lot of sense. Okay. What's the next one? Hypothesis two, Constantine the seventh of Byzantium, 905 to 959 AD, organized a complete rewriting the whole Byzantine history. The famous German Byzantinist Peter Schreiner has demonstrated how official historiography interprets this process. Beginning in the year 835 AD, monks rewrote piece by piece all texts which had been written in Greek Maiascula in the new form of writing, hence called Miniscula. Schreiner postulates that each text was produced only once, then the originals were destroyed. This means that all existing texts of the then leading culture nation had been changed or rewritten completely in new scripts in the lifetime of two generations or even faster and have been well invented we suppose it is important to explain the motivation of the emperor constantine the seventh i only want to demonstrate that an action of rewriting and faking like this has happened if it could happen in byzantium it might have happened at any other place too moreover theophanu mother of otto the third came from byzantium and was a niece of emperor zismiscus emperor from 969 a.d to 976 a.d a descendant of the same dynasty as Constantine VII. As to the question of who faked and why, there could be many speculations. It seems that in this question, surprises are ahead which could create trouble for many academic institutions as well as other social groups. I would like to repeat that our method consists in questioning specific research problems of archaeology and historiography. I must emphasize that the thesis of the Phantom Years is one proposal for solving these problems. It works surprisingly well and yields amazing results. It seems that scientists today do not see the common pattern in all the problems which repeatedly appear. Because there exists an unexpressed and unconscious prohibition against questioning the chronology as if it were unimpeachable. And that is the phantom time hypothesis. Okay, I have a lot to say. First of all, I think you set that up beautifully. I was on a roller coaster of emotions, mostly with confusion. <laughs> but you were right, it really paid off. The thing about it is, our calendar in the first place is completely man-made. And especially, it's, it's arbitrary as well. People in the past also were not writing BC on, on their documents, questioningly going towards a year zero that they didn't know what would happen. That's the thing of it is. And like, even when you asked me like earlier, like I'm saying, yeah, it's like what I go to work, like when I know how to go to work and stuff like that. And I completely disassociated where do we get timekeeping from, which is the stars. Absolutely. Like if you take it back to its basics, it's not when I go to work and when I come back from work, it's how we're rotating around the sun and how we're measuring that. It has nothing to do with when I go to work and when I come home when I take my lunch or anything like that. The only purpose for time is to note the season changes so that we can utilize them. Exactly. Whether it be for farming purposes or hunting gathering purposes, we've always need to at least understand the changing. Yeah, so at its very basic, it's how long it takes us to get around the sun. And I should have known that, but that's not. Like, I measure time in my day-to-day -day life by when I go to work, when I come back from work, because that's what my life revolves around. That's what we base it on now. It's not like, okay, today marks how many times we've gone around the sun since whatever. But our calendar, it's completely man-made. And we've gone through a lot of different calendars. 
And so for someone to take out 300 years, which is why I was like, why is there just 300 years missing? That it doesn't make sense until you got to that at the end, where it completely makes sense for someone to just completely take out 300 years if it suits them best. Or to move 300 years in a direction to help their interests. Yeah, to help them gain whatever it is that they want to gain in their lifetime that makes them look better. Doesn't mean anything now, but except for the fact that somebody's like, 300 years are missing here. And that's where I was kind of missing the disconnect. I was like, how are 300 years just missing? But it makes sense that they're missing because we're not calculating it right. But it doesn't, shouldn't happen all at once. Or did it happen all at once? I'm not sure. And there are many different theories as to how it would have actually been broken down. This author particularly had uh, more of a, there were two distinct times that had missing time. One was a period of 78 years, the other one was a period of about 150 to 200 some years, which accounted for both individuals in that previous part. That was great. I love it. Vacant 300 years leaves room for mythical stories or word of mouth stories that can't be associated with a particular time to pick up a time to actually exist as well. I guess it would allude to that, yes. Now, just to be clear, I do not particularly agree with missing time hypothesis. I just love the idea of it. We're going to touch on the detractors now. Why is the year 2022 the year 2022 and we believe that fairly confident? Well, one of the biggest criticisms of the Phantom Time is that simply adding 300 years to European history would make it disagree with many other historical regions. The Islamic expansion and the Tang Dynasty in China have very intricate histories and in fact interact with each other and we see no such discrepancies between these. Oh no. But there are other ways to disprove Phantom Time hypothesis as well. The biggest and easiest one is astronomical records. We know there are a few things that will happen on a set schedule no matter what. And those are all in the sky. Observations in ancient astronomy, especially those of solar eclipses cited by European sources prior to 600 AD, when that time would have been added, agree with the usual chronology and not with illigs. Besides several others that are perhaps too vague to disprove the phantom time hypothesis, two in particular are dated with enough precision to question this hypothesis. One is reported by Pliny the Elder in 59 AD and the other by Photius in 418 AD. Both of these dates and times have confirmed eclipses that they wrote about. In addition, observations during the Tang Dynasty in China of Halley's Comet that we know comes around every 78 years, for example, are consistent with current astronomy with no phantom time. The next one I'm going to skip just because we didn't talk about carbon dating and dendrochronology, so we don't need to worry about that because that's too complicated for our show. Yeah. Are we on the same calendar that China's using at the moment? At the moment, yes, but they have followed for a long time the lunar calendar. And would that necessarily line up with the one that's missing with the 300 year discrepancy it's just like how we talk about people from bc yeah. they're using a different calendar but we can line it up with our calendar to confidently put people in certain times because i'm just not and this is just me with no absolutely no history in this at all not even research would that lining it up with the chinese calendar necessarily account for 300 years not like discrepancy on a european calendar and this is the thing like china now uses our calendar for all business yeah 
Well, you need a standardized thing for the world. So that we can all agree on meeting times, on yeah. actions to be Flights. taken by a date. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Without that, the world doesn't work. Yeah. At one point, China had to convert from their traditional calendars to the next level to be able to exist in this relationship. So we know how to convert because it has been done. And we also are able to line things up and especially like if you see that somebody wrote on this date that Haley's Comet happened, and then they also wrote on this date, however many Chinese years in the past, Haley's Comet occurred, you're able to come up with a formula to show what the calendar was, okay. even if you don't know how they were using it. Okay. It's kind of like how technically we're supposed to use meters and centimeters and kilometers. Yeah. That's not what we've always used. That's not what the world's always used. But we're able to convert other systems. Like the Egyptians had measurements. We convert it to our system because we are able to figure yeah. it out. And it makes sense. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. And especially not necessarily interacting with us, but there were interactions with China and the rest of the world all throughout the Middle Ages through the Silk Road. It was a little later, but we were able to figure out from writings on both sides. When it happened. Yeah. And how to equalize things happening. How to see the like the times between the two. Yeah. It's a lot like the Rosetta Stone. We maybe don't speak Egyptian, but the Greeks spoke Egyptian and they wrote this. So we're able to sum it up. Okay. That makes sense. And how this all started with the Gregorian reform of the calendar, which only added 10 days, which is kind of weird when it should have added 13 days. Well, it was never purported to bring the calendar in line with the Julian calendar as it had existed at 45 BC, but as it had existed at 325 AD, the time of the Council of Nicaea, which had established a method for determining the date of the Easter Sunday by fixing it to the vernal equinox on March 21st in the Julian calendar. So at that time, I couldn't confirm it everywhere, but it was to add three days to the calendar so that it could bring March 21st into alignment with the spring solstice. Okay. So in 325, they added three days, which is it's about 370 years from 45 BC. And like we said, every 128 years, you're going to lose a day. That equals about three days by 325 AD. By 1582, the astronomical equinox was occurring on March 10th in the Julian calendar, but by Easter was still being calculated for a nominal equinox on March 21st. In 45 BC, the astronomical vernal equinox took place around March 23rd. It links three missing centuries, thus corresponds to 369 years between the institution of the Julian calendar on 45 BC and the fixing of the Easter date at the Council of Nicaea on 325 AD. And lastly, on Charlemagne, if Charlemagne and the Carolinian dynasty were fabricated, there would have to be a corresponding fabrication of the history of the rest of Europe, including Anglo-Saxon England, the Papacy, and the Byzantine Empire. The Phantom Time period also encompasses the life of Muhammad and the Islamic expansion into the areas of the former Western Roman Empire, including the conquest of Visigothic Iberia. This history, too, would have to be forged or drastically misdated. It would also have to be reconciled with the history of the Tang Dynasty of China and its contact with the Islamic world, such as the Battle of Talas. So there are problems with the Phantom Time Hypothesis, but man, is it a fun concept that I wanted to share with you all. And just realize how weird calendars are. It is. Like I said, I think you laid it out well. You really took me on a journey, mostly of confusion, but it paid off in the end. And I'm really glad you took me on that journey of confusion to pull it all together at the end. 
I liked it. It's one of my favorite ideas just to think about because it is so weird. And it is the Dark Ages. Legitimately, we don't know much about the Dark Ages because not a lot happened in Europe, but there was a lot of problems like mass famines. And the fact that the Roman Empire had fallen meant that just history was not kept as thoroughly. Well, and it's the Dark Ages because it's the Dark Ages, right? We don't know. Like, it's not because the sun was dim. It is because we don't know much about it. Maybe it's because of a missing 300 years. But the fun thing about it is that our concept of time, just as I had a lot of confusion around this episode, is completely what we're told time is. If someone takes 300 years from me, am I going to know a difference? No, not at all. Is it going to confuse the shit out of me when I find out about it? Yeah, like a lot. I really like that. That was enjoyable once I, you know, figured figured out what was going on. I have been Taylor here with Chelsea, reminding you that we are living our best life in 1725. We really are. And I mean, we can forget 2020 ever happened. That's the great part about it. Thank you all for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Journey to the Fringe. If you have liked what you have listened to, please like, share, subscribe, or follow, depending on what venue you are listening to us through. Also, please, if possible, leave a five-star review as that really helps us in the algorithms. Should you wish to interact with us, please check us out on your social media of choice. I bet you we are there. And if you really want to communicate with us and give us ideas for new episodes or tell us that we're wrong and terrible, either way, please send us an email at journeytothefringe at gmail.com. For now, I'll see you in the next episode. Uh